Welcome to the NZ Sales and Marketing Insider, the podcast where we pull back the curtain and speak to the brains behind sales and marketing activity that has delivered real results. Get inspired and get actionable ideas by hearing what they did and how they did it. Brought to you by me, Ben Rose, along with Gorilla Technology. Welcome to another episode of the NZ Sales and Marketing Insider. I'm your host, Ben Rose, and today we're speaking to Simon Coley, co-founder and director at Karma Drinks and All Good. Simon co-founded award-winning Karma Drinks in 2010 with a vision for the company to produce ethically sourced drinks and give back to the kola nut growers in West Africa. Their mission, that their drinks should not only taste good, they should be good for the land, good for the people who grow the ingredients, and as good for you as a fizzy drink can be. He also co-founded Fairtrade Produce Company All Good, who were the first to bring Fairtrade bananas to New Zealand. Before founding All Good, Simon has had some amazing roles in the creative and marketing sector. Previously, he was the creative director at Agency.com and the Better Buy Design Program. He was also the design and creative director at NZ Energy Company PowerShop, and in 2014, they won the Innovation in Energy Award for being the world's first energy company to launch a full-service mobile platform. Thanks for joining us, Simon. Thank you, Ben. So that's that's quite the uh, that's quite the list. What, what an interesting that's quite career! Quite exhausting, isn't it? Thinking about <laughs> you all must, that. Yeah, must be. it's good to be good to have done some of it. So, uh, how, how do you think of yourself? Do you think of yourself as a as a marketer, as a business person? How, how do you think of yourself? I it's interesting because I've never really studied marketing as this, you know, and it's such a science today that um, it's important to have that kind of background. My uh, background is in design. Mm-hmm. I studied graphic design. I done product development and I've sort of worked in a more kind of how do you say understanding user needs to create a product or service right. has been the basis for a lot of the marketing experience I've had so it's not the traditional way of coming into generating demand mm. but understanding how people use a product what makes them want it and are willing in our case to purchase it frequently is you know the thing that like, I try and understand from a design perspective as well as a marketing one. So, so could you talk me through? Um, so let's let's talk about about Karma Drinks. Mm. Um, right at the very beginning, how did you identify that there was a need, and and what what was the, I suppose the process you went through to go from an idea to a business? It was very much a hunch that we'd learnt in the market we'd been trying to generate, develop for fair trade bananas, mm. that it was possible to take a commodity that people knew quite well and create a premium within a category through the values that we present to customers. Yeah. So the difference between our bananas, mm-hmm. the all good kind, uh, compared to conventional ones, and our way of substantiating that they cost a dollar more. Right. is that they come from people who we can um, guarantee are, are treated fairly. Yep, yep. They get a better deal for mm-hmm. as farmers. The environment they're growing is, is well looked after. Right. And because of that sort of duty of care uh, and the care we put into the quality to the consumer we're targeting, they, um, th- that justifies that premium. It took a while to educate people that there was a difference mm. because most Mostly, we just look at the quality of fruit in a, in a bin in a store, yes, yeah, and that's yeah. our single biggest determinant for purchases. Yeah, right. Does it look right? Absolutely. You know? But interestingly, because we take more care, we invest a lot in the containers and the way we ripen and the the way these things are grown. 
they tend to be very high quality. Mm-hmm. And although there's variety, there's variance in that over a year, we generally have a very good, you know, response from customers because of the way we look after the supply chain. This, you know, it's kind of quid pro quo. The more you look after the growers, yep, the better the yep. product. Yeah, right, right. And right. that definitely shows through. And so, so when when it came to you know applying that thinking to to the fizzy drinks category, what what was your? Well, again, it's a big commodity. You know, it's probably the largest selling soft you know drink in the world. We, you know, the numbers are staggering. There's something close to two billion cola branded drinks consumed every day. Every day from one brand, and that's all of their wow. products but yes. that's a lot yes. of of packaged goods absolutely and just knowing that and knowing that the recipe is no longer the reason for mm. the product you know mm. it's much more about the gratification of you know a sweet sugary fizzy drink yeah yep. um we thought we could probably rebalance that understanding and like with the bananas think about Disrupting, I guess is the word, mm. this category that people are so used to. And, the, you know, the big insight for us is that very few of these colas actually have an ingredient called cola in them, and there is such a thing. So, you know, that insight gave me confidence anyway that yeah. when you learn that, you go, wow, that's fascinating, and Absolutely. why didn't I know it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's something about that insight and you know that you know when you learn something, you feel good. You own that new knowledge. It yes. releases serotonin. So, yes. so the so the idea of being more engaged in the product and, and knowing more about it, and that deeper understanding of provenance, really does help the dialogue with customers to create, you know, more than just desire, but a loyalty mm-hmm. to the to the brand and the product. We saw that with bananas, and we tried to apply it to cola, and then a, a range of products since then. And how, how scientific have you been in your approach? I mean, have you, what kind of research have you done? Have you done any? Has it been done on it like, started field pretty or? instinctively. Yeah. I mean, Chris, our partner, um, had made a cola before at Phoenix. Right. I, you know, I knew it was a really good one and that we could replicate that. Mm. But provenance was the, the big, the difference here, that we yep. would source these this name ingredient from a place that we understood would benefit from it. I think um, being able to do that and, how do you say, kind of make that the meaning beyond it just being a soft drink, having purpose, mm-hmm. really makes a difference. And that was, that was where the instinct came from, that there's enough differentiation for us to really lean into that and show that there's a difference. Right. And we had confidence in the quality of the product and that we could produce it consistently the real data comes when you get feedback mm. and you know to be honest most of our feedback comes from from trade customers from people we sell directly to yeah. they're our proxy to be and you know as close to to end user consumers as possible yeah so a lot of what drives our kind of ongoing strategy is feedback from those channels However, because we have social media now and, and through the 10 years we've been doing this, we've got closer to a bigger kind of following of customers. Mm. Uh, we hear a lot from them. We see a lot of feedback and quite good creative materials. So because we've put a lot into the look and feel of the products and mm. they've all got characters and kind of personalities that engage with customers, that we do get a lot of sort of 
user-generated content, I guess you'd call it, their own interpretation yeah. of what we're doing. You're right. So seeing that as kind of a good good evidence in social that we're growing a following through a kind of affinity for what we do. Yes. Um, you know, we do try and dig deeper into the data, and now that we're doing more in grocery, you know, there's a real requirement to be more scientific about that. Mm. But I think that a lot of the early kind of confidence came just from the feedback we got from a more anecdotal way from a wider group of people. Uh, and like you mentioned, you know, when someone comes across a product that meets their requirements and they're willing to tell us about it, yep, that's yep. the best marketing we can get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so okay, so you so you know that you've got a good product. You know, you, it's got a good purpose and you know, kind of re- reason reason for being. You know, the design's yeah. working well. So let's mm. talk about sales. Yeah. So from you know, scratch. How did you? How did you start? Because I know you know you've been on a really interesting journey, kind of around the world. Yes, yes. So, be so keen the, to understand how that. I mean, the first thing is just knocking on doors. So, in a market like New Zealand, you will find people who you know or who your friends know who are in a position to sell your product. Yeah. The more of them you make contact with, the more you sell. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. that you can't beat direct sales, just because. That feedback loop is so much closer if you know mm. the people who are relying on your product to earn their living. So yes. knowing that they are being supported and the product selling is the strongest contact you can, you know, business relationship you can have. Yeah. So with us knowing that we would be sold in primarily in cafes and restaurants that had complementary services mm-hmm. and foods like mm-hmm. coffee or you know food. And knowing that it would be an occasion with food mostly, you know, these things originally weren't, we didn't develop the products to be a kind of at-home occasion. They're much more about, you know, sitting down for a, a kind of posh burger, you know, something right, that's right, right. slightly more yeah. than a than a takeaway because there's a premium in the, in the way we put this together and mm. the way we expect people to respond to it. Even it's not the least expensive product in the market. So... We kind of needed to, to be in a place where that was appreciated. And knowing people that are operating in that area and hospitality is really important. So effectively, here and in the UK where we grew quite quickly, we followed the coffee first. We know a lot of coffee roasters. We're specifically agnostic about who we align ourselves with because mm. we think we can support all of them. You'll see that the that sort of third wave of coffee, single origin, great care around sourcing and the way it's prepared and presented and made and served is similar to what we do. So there's that affinity with those sorts of people in those channels. So, so when you say follow them, what, well, what do you mean? Go to their places and sell to them. Right, right, right. right. Because right. You, you've seen, I mean, this is probably reaching saturation here now, but there are a lot of small businesses that start out, uh, you know, it's not like you need a degree to be a coffee roast. You mm. need to be mm. very committed and you need some capital, yep. and you need to understand how to do that well. But there are a lot of them, and they have similar values to us. Mm. So we found affinity and were able to have constructive relationships with them yeah, and sell drinks. And then when, when we were in, in the UK, we discovered that the, the, the sort of wave of, of much higher quality, fast casual dining, we started a a relationship that still carries on with a group called Honest Burgers who just had a few shops but they made a sort of British burger out of British beef and organically sourced other ingredients and we were very similar to them so they were happy to support us and vice versa 
we ended up taking the two founders to Sierra Leone to meet some of the people wow. who benefit from it oh, because they've been so supportive. And yeah. those sorts of relationships are very hard to replicate. So and I guess how, the how lesson there is... Sorry? How, sorry how do you, and how do you generate those? Do you, do you just go and knock on doors? Because you Absolutely. yourself went over to the well, UK. Well, I've you? always thought that our strongest kind of discipline in generating sales has been stalking people. <laughs> you know, we actually have to find out who is going to be a decision maker in one of those places and get close to them and yeah. and understand what they need, you know, know that we can put together. So with Honest Burgers, they they stopped, first stocked our ginger ale, gingerella, because they love the look of the bottle. Mm-hmm. And again, they had f- three or four outlets at the time. Um, this was probably an eight or nine years ago we met the founders and they found out a bit more about what we were doing i showed them the cola and they went well you you know you're karma cola we're honest burgers we should probably do something together and we said well why don't you know they offered to put a promotion together where they would add a pound to each of their meal uh, a meal with a cola mm-hmm. and they'd make a a specific burger, a special, they do a special every month called a Karma Burger. Wow. And they made a sort of sauce that was reduced cola and some angolate. It was beautiful. It was like it was like a meat sauce on meat. It was oh, quite fantastic. indulgent. Um, anyway, they raised something like 12,000 pounds. So that was staggering oh, wow. that they could generate that much interest. Yeah, because, yeah. Of, And the other thing is that as well as being an interesting offering, their staff, we went to talk to them. Albert Tucker, the chair of our foundation, who's from Sierra Leone, would go and talk to the servers of these restaurants mm. and they'd understand the benefit of the sale, that if, mm. they, if they sold one of our drinks, these, the people that Albert represents would benefit from it. So they had a much stronger story to tell to a customer. And they was had that, a reasonably quick way. Oh, yes, we would go around and... I mean, it was it was mutually interesting for the yeah. for the founders of of Honest Burgers. They were interested because they went, well, we're not, you know, this is new to us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We didn't know that, you know, a drink that is as a, a ubiquitous as cola actually has a story like this. Mm. And you know, we do sell burgers. They do tend to go together quite well. Yeah, Why don't yeah, we do yeah. something? So having that again, that affinity and partnerships makes such a difference because you don't have to push quite as hard when people are willing. Mm. And when you've got something that's unique to you, uh, to us as our business, and to them as you know, genuinely enthusiastic partners, then it generates a lot more enthusiasm because it rubs off on their customers. So them being able to tell a story about generating this money for our foundation really help them build, you know, build their loyalty too. Yeah, yeah, and then absolutely. when we went over, we, we when they had the. <laughs> When they'd raised the money and they wrote the cheque and they came and saw us, they said, we want to come and see what you're going to spend this on. Awesome. And I thought, well, it's, that's great, but we probably can't just go there and look. Mm-hmm. We need to do something. Mm-hmm. So I suggested that they might like to cook for the villagers that we work with. And they were keen to, so we ended up making burgers for them. Oh, that's wicked. Which was extraordinary. And, you know. That's very cool. Yeah. And that was the kind, again, the exchange wasn't just putting some money in a bucket and mm. saying we're going to spend this on a charity mm, mm. they wanted to get involved yeah and that involvement's worth you know all the marketing budget you could kind of scratch up yeah, absolutely and yeah. so so let's so let's talk about marketing budget do you do you spend much on marketing or is it more about very little development but i think you know we've all our margins are compressed at the moment because a lot uh, you know the bigger chunk of our business in the uk is is just 
sort of dormant while everything's closed. Mm, yeah, yeah. So so we've sort of stripped any spend out there. We're just the good thing is that we do have these great relationships that continue. So we mm. have momentum. Yes. But we can't really be advertising or marketing and even in social very heavily when we don't really have outlets that are going to generate the revenue required. In New Zealand it's mostly trade marketing and some social but I've always thought of this as that the story we tell and the benefit to our Karma Foundation is kind of where we get that point of difference and reason to communicate Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and when we have success stories from the work of the foundation we've got something that's genuinely worth communicating. So we're not always just saying buy us. Yeah, <laughs> we're yeah, saying yeah. look what you've achieved as yes. our customer. Yes. And I think that's our, if you like, there's some some of our secret sources in that is saying, you know, we're in this sort of social contract with you. We'd love you to buy our products, but look at what you've done. Mm, <laughs> because mm. once you kind of understand that there's benefit beyond your the sort of instant gratification of a drink, yeah, and it's it fulfills all those things. It, quenches your thirst, tastes great, you know, is, is either functional or not, depending on your preference. But that there's more to it than that, yep. that's when repeat purchase happens. So we just want to keep being able to reinforce that by showing people what they've done. And our strap line is every drink does good. We've just got to keep showing the good that's being done back yes. to those people to continue that dialogue. So with, with such a strong purpose, how how do you make sure that your, your team and your organisation believe in it as much as you do? The the most straightforward way of doing it is going to Sierra Leone. (laughs) So we've been able to take a number of people who work with us there and there they get it. And once you've sort of had that experience, it's very hard to to not be excited about the the future of doing something like this. Unfortunately, we can't do that with everyone. So Mm. we've really got to find other ways of showing them that this is working and also involving them in developing new ways of doing it because what I've discovered is that we started off with a pretty clear idea of how this would work Mm -hmm. but the more people that get involved the more trends you try and take on board as a company new product development the more fragmented things become so you've still got to keep going back to that uh, that purpose ours is very much product focused and we're challenged now to see how that how we can make that work across a number of different products so it's a constantly evolving kind of um, inquiry. Mm-hmm. I think our purpose mm-hmm. is pretty clear, yep. but, you know, that we, that we benefit the people through the foundation yes. and that everything that we're kind of claiming to do, both socially and environmentally, we can achieve that way. But there are a lot of different purposes yeah, <laughs> that yeah, someone yeah. in our position can adopt, and we have to be very careful not to try and be all things to everyone and it's that's a real challenge for us you know we're trying to take the carbon out of our supply chain we absolutely need to do that because no businesses should continue without doing that Mm -hmm. anymore Mm -hmm. it's something everyone has to be aware of we need to be so aware of the impact socially of our product both at the production and you know in terms of buying product from through fair trade or other ways of making sure producers are getting a fair deal but we also need to be aware of the impact on consumers so offering sugar free and other functional drinks is important to us now so there's, so when we had one product it was very simple yes, yeah, <laughs> cola yeah, yeah. it's in the yeah, bottle yeah. and that's the karma is what you're doing from buying it yeah and now we're 
our challenge is expanding that to work across a number of different products. So, so how do you, how have you scaled? I suppose your, you know, this podcast is obviously is about sales and marketing. How, how have you scaled your your sales function from you with a passion and belief in a single product to? Mm. I, I assume you've got a, you know, bigger yeah, yeah, sales yeah, team totally, now. Totally. So how, how how does that work? Well, first finding people who have, you know, unique have have the skill to do it. So we've gone from being three founders plus a few of our original team, mm-hmm. you know, a really strongly committed group of very talented people who were, you know, pretty much making it up as we went along. You know, yep. we had a, yep. I mean, all of us were late, it's later in all of our careers for Matthew, Chris and I, but, you know, we also were doing something together for the first time. So, you know, we sort of, the, the, the behaviours of the business evolved from that. Yeah. Over time, you learn what you don't know. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. getting specialist advice in has always been critical. And we've been through a few phases of growth where we've needed to focus on, for example, more efficient operations. Right, right. Or being able to market broader in a broader sense to get to more people mm. because we know that we can only grow so much if we have to have one-on-one relationships like with trade with every customer we have there's only so far you can scale that Mm -hmm. so there's been a a pretty healthy tension between focusing on sales like having people that will generate direct sales with customers and then the next level of evolution for us especially in the UK we're saying right we need to work much better with distributors now Mm. because we just don't have the resource to build a book of customers broad enough to manage our growth expectations. So we need to work well with distributors who will in turn represent hundreds rather than single numbers, digits of customers. And that was a big learning curve for us is how to engage with them when they'll have a portfolio of hundreds of other brands and be top of mind. So what we would do is basically build their customer base for them so they'd take notice of them. We Mm -hmm. went to some distributors in the UK with 60 or 70 accounts saying these people are buying from us would you distribute to them and give us all your customers as well wow so so doing that's great because we're sort of not that very well known business there when we started but we needed to show them that we were seriously being purchased yeah and taking them a number of accounts and Mm. saying how do we do this better together meant that we had already had something on the table that they would be interested in. Is that a common approach over there or was that? I don't know. It seemed like the most obvious way for us because it was pretty difficult once we discovered that, you know, you can't deliver to more than maybe a dozen places in London in a van in a day. (laughs) You really need some other people that know how to do that well. Mm -hmm. And the cost of achieving that, you know, the the cost of being a distribution business is quite high. You know, we make drinks, we sell drinks. But there will always be others that have pretty good operational mm. capability and mm. do it for a lot less. So it's just finding the right place. It's, it's sort of a business model issue, you know. What is it? Yes. How are you managing your supply chain in the most efficient way? And where do you put your, you know, the thing you're good at? Yeah. <laughs> where yeah. do you focus on that so that you generate the most value for mm. the most people? And how, how have you how have you decided what to um, out, outsource and what to in-house? You know, what 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 do you want to have inside the business versus bringing those experts in? Yeah, and that's an interesting question because we've all we started doing everything internally as you kind of need to. Yeah. The first things we outsourced were a lot around manufacture. I mean, we've never owned a factory, so we'll okay. always be contract manufacturing. It's the model that allows us to have the biggest scale and scope and right. scalability. It also 
means we get variety in product too. Um, and we should be investing in generating sales, not owning factories. Mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. kind of, although at some scale, at some point, owning a factory is really helpful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you know, it means that you've got security of supply, but yes. it's a big investment, and it's not something we've ever contemplated. Um, so that you know, knowing where to play is really important. Yeah, yeah. Um, as we've grown, we've gone from that to knowing that we need to. You know, one of the big skill sets we needed was to engage with retail mm. in international markets. So that's a skill set that we needed to find overseas, and we did. Uh, and we've, over the time, we've even, if you like, upgraded that. We now have a CEO who's worked in values-based consumer goods in the UK and has now moved here for a while. Right. Well, um, yeah, right. because... Mostly because of of the kind of downturn in hospitality in mm-hmm. the UK yep. and the need for us to be able to consolidate a bit to grow. Uh, ben Ben Dando, who's been with us for a year now, but just to come to New Zealand with his family, will help us develop. You know, to streamline what we do here, look at how we expand and come back in the UK and other markets. And there's. It's interesting, it's quite a good time to be in New Zealand looking at export opportunities, I think. There seems to be a bit more attention on us as a country, mm. um, a bit more opportunity in some of these markets that we're beginning to to be quite good at. Um, you know, premium food and beverage is one yes. of them. And, and the values-based stuff that, that obviously propels what we do. And do you, do you lean on New Zealand provenance as part of your, your message? Well, we never have because we it would get confusing. Like, our, yeah. <laughs> obviously, our core product comes from West Africa. Mm, mm. We have product from we have ingredients from Sri Lanka. We used to have it from Samoa, Papua New Guinea, um, Maharashtra, and India. Right, right, right. You know, we're sort of a United Nations of, yeah, yeah. of of inputs. So. And it's interesting. I think that the know-how is definitely something that's come from here, mm. but the but we're pretty agnostic around provenance as long as it meets our values. Yes. Um, I think there's a bit of tension there because distance from origin seems to have more of an impact these days. But we understand how to do that in a way that's the most efficient, mm. and as we get better at it, you know, it has the least carbon impact. Um, and we also have an obligation to some of these farming communities. We don't really want to stop doing that. So yeah. we'll continue to lean into it and look for more kind of innovative ways of doing it. Yeah, great. Um, one one particular sales achievement I, I'm keen to discuss with you was getting um, listed in Jamie Oliver's restaurants. Oh, that's right, yeah. So that was that was pretty cool. Could you talk me through how, was, how did that happen? Well, I mentioned stalking before. Yeah. That's pretty much what we did. <laughs> So we've, got, I mean, the th- the thing about the environment we operated in and, and still do in the UK is that there's lots of people watching each other, and there's lots of great outlets like uh, a, a New Zealand-founded uh, hospitality chain called Caravan, um, and there's a few like that. There's another one called Ozone that we have here as well. These are Kiwis that have ended up in London, pretty much showing how to do a really good dining experience right. with experience from here mm-hmm. um, I know that some of the offices that Jamie Oliver frequents are near some of these restaurants oh do you so, and I also know we knew one of his offsiders so there was a little bit of 
just being seen yes. because we're in these places. And yep. they're, you know, we pride ourselves in having been in the best cafes that are sort of at the edge of the style of, of fast casual dining. Mm. And because of that, we're a kind of, you know, part of that culture. Yes. Um, so being recognised for that was really important um, because it opened up other avenues. Mm. You know, as people would say, well, how did you get in there? <laughs> and can we have your product because we want to be like them? So so that sort of virtue signalling really helps yeah, in, yeah, that, yeah. In, in, in premium fast casual dining. Right. Now that's something that the, that the Jamie Oliver's crew are very interested in developing too. They have, they did have Jamie's. They did have, you know, they've since uh, contracted a lot of that mm. uh, their exposure to hospitality. But at the time, it was quite exciting because we thought it's a good association. Um, and also for us, you know, Jamie's campaigning for a better view of the food system mm. for, for you know for school dinners for, yep. Yep. and being a soft drink in that category seems a bit anomalous but you know I did get feedback from his, the head of his restaurant chain saying Jamie really likes what you're doing wants to do this so it was kind of it was a great way for us to uh, I'd be, I'd be relevant to a different group for to a group that was a sort of slightly more mainstream than where we were yes um, it coincided with some big challenges for casual dining in the UK anyway and Although we did get distribution through all of these things, they started closing quite quickly. Right, right. So right. you know, Jamie's really shifted their focus, or the the Jamie Oliver kind of group have shifted their focus from from um, from restaurants, uh, from as many restaurants, and mm-hmm, closed a mm-hmm. few down. But that's been a challenge that we've seen happening right across the industry. So, but but you, you you know you weren't in the UK by accident. You weren't in these cafes by accident. You you'd moved the whole family over to yes, to the UK. Yeah. So, so what was the I suppose what was the the thinking behind that? Why you know why the UK? Why did you need to be there? What was what was the approach there? Well, for a start, Albert, the chair of our foundation, was based in London, and I'd been over after we'd launched here to see him and for some other fa- family things, but. We ended up going to a few cafes and seeing just how much excitement there was about the products right. and thought it would be a shame not to be able to do this. We also had some really good advice from <clears throat> a woman called Jayan Tunner, who used to work at NZT over there, who said, if you really wanted to test this market, you should try the London Coffee Festival, which is a, is a sort of uh, an event for um, coffee roasters and cafes and the sort of that industry, cafe industry, in the east end of London. Hmm. And it, you know, we went there with a, a box of, you know, product. We had a little stand. We had a video of Albert and Matt and I and in Sierra Leone at the back of the stand. Most of the people there were drinking a lot of coffee. So by the time they'd found us or wandered past our store, yep. they'd had three or four cups and were pretty talkative. <laughs> and, you know, they'd see the bottle and be... A, you know, intrigued, say so that looks interesting. They'd look at it and they'd taste it and go, oh, it tastes like cola, which was a great response because that's the benchmark. Okay. <laughs> Everyone's got okay. an idea about what that should taste like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they'd see the video and go, wow, what's happening here? And make the connection around the ingredient coming from mm. Sierra Leone. And I learned there that there were three things that, that would happen when we had the sort of perfect customer engagement. One was that they'd see it and it'd look good and that would 
trigger their interest. Mm-hmm. They taste it, it would taste good, and that would kind of reinforce that expectation. Mm. You don't get a second sale if it doesn't. Yeah. And then they'd find out a bit about the provenance and know that it does good, and that was the sort of seal the deal. Yeah, you yeah. know, now I've got something I can tell a friend, we yes. sort of created that dialogue with them. So that gave us the confidence. Like watching that response in that trade show and, and probably getting about 70 accounts in a couple of days wow. made us think, well, there's demand. Yeah. Um, we know we could manufacture here. We've sort of, we couldn't not do it. I mean, we, we rushed into it. There's probably a lot we could have learned, but it's kind of really fire aim. You know, you sort of need to have some confidence in the, in that the demand is there as long as you're there to drive it. Mm. And, that, you know, the big big learning there is that you just have to be there. So actually our board said, you know, someone, one of you founders needs to be in in the UK. This is going to work. And it was me. <laughs> so I went. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And has that, has that, has that sort of three-step model of seeing and tasting and, I suppose, believing, has that been something that you've, you've replicated in, it in, in it other sort places. of became the thing that I used to understand if it was working or not. That if you right. got, um, if you had this sort of visual connection, you sort of, you know, you know, you've got such a short time to grab anyone's attention, especially yes. in retail. So you really have to make that packaging work, mm. and then you have to deliver on the product promise. So yes, it's a kind of, it's a methodology now, I suppose. It's, it came from observation, but it's definitely something we we apply in thinking about. Um, yeah. How we're developing more products. That's really interesting. Like if it if it doesn't, you know, there's no excuse for it not to look great. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, <laughs> it's mm-hmm. kind of something I've been pretty fastidious about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Taste is also essential. If it doesn't, you don't get sales. But the real key to it, because anyone else should be able to replicate that. There's a lot of people in our business. Yeah, those are almost tickets tickets to play. Absolutely, aren't they? Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. that's yeah. You're right. That your table stakes. And it's the why, that purpose thing, mm. that really differentiates us. If we didn't have the Karma Foundation, we'd be a soft drink company. Yeah. And although we make and sell soft drinks, we do it for a reason beyond that. And without that, we can't really cl- be clearly differentiated or, or drive that premium because we have to justify a high price. Otherwise, we could. the only marketing tactic we'd need is to reduce the price. But that's what so many do, isn't it? So many do focus on, you know, I suppose the the price is the differentiator, or even the design, or even the taste. Mm. But they're all replicable, aren't they? Well, I think so. I mean, unless you've got a formulation that no one else has, but these things change pretty quickly, and there's, there's a sort of cold war of you mm. know, competition for yeah. the new new drink. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's not like it's a lot easier to make one of these things than it used to be. You don't have to own a factory. You know, mm. you can make small runs. You'll see there's a proliferation of great small brands of all sorts of drinks that are just blossoming. It's fantastic. Yeah, it's a yeah, very yeah. vibrant. It's like the craft beer market. Mm-hmm. All mm-hmm. white, and there's more choice than we've ever had. So clearly understanding why you're doing it and what that what you bring beyond the gratification of the product is pretty important from my perspective. Simon, this has been a mm. this has been a great conversation. Thank you for, for your time. Look, one one last um, question from me. We try and leave our listeners with a piece of advice from our guests. If there were one thing that you could leave people with that they could they could action tomorrow, what would that piece of advice be? Given everything you've learned over the years, it's changed recently from just start, <laughs> which I always thought was you know you've got to get going because that dialogue's so important to mm. 
to learn, you know, that unless you've got something in the market you can respond to and learn from, it's very hard to be theorising. So, But more importantly now, it's no, it's focus on the outcome. Like, in any of the things we've been talking about, knowing what you want to achieve really helps you get rid of some of the stuff that may be cluttering your view. Mm. So for us, you know, this outcome is, is has a sort of duality to it. One is that we need to generate revenue because we're a business, but we need to do it in order to support our foundation. So when I can use the the outcomes of the foundation to justify the revenue, we're we're winning. You know, we can yes, go right yes. because we're doing this. We're able to do good, yep. and that's on all our drinks. So we have to have to believe and and live mm. that. You mm. know, without it being too much wearing a hair shirt. You know, the profit and purpose need to be intention in order for to be profitable. Yep, yep. But we can't do it just for the sake of that. We need to have that purpose beyond making money to make everyone want to work with us. Fantastic. Simon, thank you for your time. Really appreciate it. You're welcome, Ben. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the NZ Sales and Marketing Insider. If you liked it, you can follow the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favourite podcast app for fortnightly episodes. For other great New Zealand podcasts, head over to podcasts.nz. And if it's IT expertise you're after, then make your way to gorillatechnology.com. See you next time.